Welcome back to Caracast, the podcast from Kerasoft, the trusted government IT solutions provider. Subscribe to get the latest technology updates in the public sector. I'm Corey Baumgartner, your host from the Kerasoft production team. On behalf of Venify, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around the updated Certificate Authority Browser Forum standards. Faisal Razak, Senior Product Manager, and Ivan Wallace, Global Solutions Architect, will discuss how agencies should align with the updated Certificate Authority Browser Forum standards to enhance their network security and gain greater visibility over code updates. I'm Ivan Wallace. I'm a Global uh, Solutions Architect here at Venify, focusing on all things code signing from the, from the kind of field engagement perspective. Uh, over 25 plus years of cybersecurity experience, ranging from HSMs, key management, and of course, uh, code signing. And uh, my partner on, in crime on this uh, on this webinar is Fossil. So Fossil, go ahead. Hey, uh, thank you, Ivan. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. My name is Faisal Razak. I'm Senior Product Manager at Venify, and I help enable our customer to manage their machine identities and secure their software supply chain. Uh, really excited to be here. Uh, and I think, uh, as Ivan suggested, this is this is a hot and upcoming topic. Uh, it goes into enforcement on June 1st. So happy to be here. I have 10 to 15 years of experience of application development and also being in cybersecurity domain. So so help to, um, happy to be here. And uh, yeah, over to you, Ivan. All right, thanks, Fazel, and uh, Fazel will have a good a good section coming up. So let's dive in. All right, so a little bit about the CAB or what the you know what they call the Certification Authority Browser Forum. Right, their overall goal is to provide you know internet security industry standards for certificate authorities and consumers. It's a essentially a voluntary consortium made up of about uh, you know fifty five certificate authorities. That includes, of the court, you know, of course, the eleven uh, certificate consumer vendors. As you can imagine, all of the major internet browsers and industry standard and audit bodies out there, and they develop guidelines. You know, focusing on, for the most part, right? We, we, everyone's doing this these days, right? It's everything's security in terms of web browser access. So obviously, SSL, TLS protocols, right? And of course, the code science certificates that were really kind of laser focused on this session. Uh, of course, talking about system and network security, of course, of the different certificate authorities. And I think it's going to be important to remember that even though these are guidelines, when you consider the overall membership, I think the CAB form has the power to make these guidelines happen as, as we've seen this over the last few years. Before we get into the CAB form changes, I think it'd be good to get a sense of you know, how we got here and just why these changes, even if um, they can be a little disruptive, are so critical to security going forward. Like I said, this is a, a really neat timeline view uh, of some of the major security events related to uh, leaked or stolen keys, right? Or stolen and cloned code sign certificates, right? It's not, of course, all of them, but it's, I would say, a good number of them are focused around key compromise or, or leveraging these signing identities. So needless, you know, needless to say, it's apparent and that there's a trend here where we are seeing a spike in the number of these uh, events. So obviously we're not gonna be, we're not gonna cover all of these, 
but I do want to touch on a few of them. Uh, so obviously starting back in the day, everyone's probably familiar with Stuxnet, uh, which was that, that kind of that worm that's been around since about 2005. And in 2010, it was used as a malware leverage, you know, leveraging stolen code sign certificates from Realtek and, and JMicron. And you, you can imagine, right, the impact, right, at its peak, Realtek had about 70% of the market share of the audio codec market. So big deal, right? So you can imagine the type of access these stolen code sign certificates provided. So for the next several years, we saw a handful of code signing key and certificate incidents. And until the, I think the, the, the lid was blown off in about 2019, when you had, of course, everyone knows SolarWinds, where the attackers misused right these X509 code signing certificates and the associated keys to infiltrate and propagate. Right, these attacks are getting much more sophisticated. Right, so basically, all this while avoiding detection. So really, a really sophisticated attack. And you also have ACES, right? Where at least two signing keys are stolen, meaning an attacker could sign malware and distribute it as legitimate updates, exposing millions of ACES customers to compromise. And since about 2019, we've had, you know, I, I would say an accelerated rate of security events related to signing keys and certs uh, events. Unsurprisingly, this, you know, coincides with the emergence and rapid spread of, of malware uh, and ransomware. So. You can imagine just in right at the end of the timeline, right? You see 2023, and this is just the first half, right? We're just almost there. And look at how many of these you know, major events have happened. So in a lot of ways, and we've seen this with kind of the, the, the nudging that you know the cap form has been doing to the overall industry and the community, right? You know, continue to improve your security posture around protecting your code signing processes and keys. So obviously. You know, it's a good a good time, right, for the cab forum to um, to, to be able to act and provide uh, these 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 guidelines. So, and of course, they have right June first coming up pretty quickly. Um, so, these upcoming changes are squarely focused on uh, making the code signing ecosystem much more secure. So, one final thing to think about before we jump into the cab changes is you know the concentration. So when we talk about risk concentration, right, you see with uh, with code sign certificates, right, compared to potentially with other types of machine identities, right, TLS certificates. You know, one single code sign certificate is typically used for um, tens or hundreds of, of applications, right? Each application in turn could have thousands of code signing operations. So this isn't just conceptual. In fact, we have some, I think, interesting benefit data. Uh, on average, we're seeing about, you know, close to 12,000 code signing operations for every code sign certificate. So you can imagine the, uh, that risk concentration down to the, the private keys and certificates that are being used to sign everything, your PowerShell scripts, your firmware, right, IoT. So, so imagine that that risk is then concentrated into one single certificate um, and you can kind of extrapolate like, what a compromise of one of these might might mean to the organization. All right, let's kind of jump into the cap form um, changes. So we'll start with a summary of the changes before kind of breaking them down in, in more detail. Like I said, the, the, the cab CA browser forum's goal with these changes uh, is closely tied to what's happening in the threat landscape. And, you know, obviously they want to make the, the private keys of 
organization validated, right? OV. They've got people on this call are you know maybe familiar with overall how we organize the different types of, of public certificates, right? So now extending that to secure those private keys as what's being done on the extended validation side with the EV code sign certificates. So coming up very, very quickly here, right? These changes go into effect uh, June uh, 1st, uh, coordinated UTC time, right? So a few days from now. From then on, code sign certificates must be stored. And we'll get into this coming up soon uh, on an HSM or token. That's FIPS 140-2 level two. Um, or common criteria EEL, uh, EEL level four compliant. We'll talk a bit about these soon. So these requirements go on to define how to create, store, install, renew, and of course, reissue the corresponding private keys for uh, these uh, organizations validated the OV code sign certificates. So this impacts any certificates that are gonna be newly issued or reissued after this timeframe. Definitely some good information there. All right, getting into um, and already kind of throwing out some some acronyms, right, relative to the crypto industry. Uh, but let's kind of go into FIPS, right? So just what exactly is this FIPS, right? So it's it was created by NIST, so National you know National Institute for Standards and Technology, uh, and FIPS stands for the Federal Information Processing Standard, uh, a well-known standard. As, as I mentioned, uh, and 140-2 uh, is the publication. So level two speaks to the security level with one being the lowest and four being the highest. You know, FIPS 140-2 is a US government computer security standard that's used essentially to approve cryptographic modules, right? The standards for crypto modules include, of course, both hardware and software components or elements. Uh, these standards are needed to maintain the confidentiality and integrity of uh, the information protected modules. So think of it as a baseline or a benchmark for evaluating cryptographic hardware. And it's gonna be important, you know, of course, you know, ongoing and continuing to, um, as, as the industry right, levels up, right? In, in improving their overall security posture. Right? So it's a benchmark. Um, of course, the cap farm requires these changes, slight changes based on the announcements for, for June 1st. And um, so level two compliance, like I said, level two focuses on physical security and requires you to have, uh, we talk about physical tamper. So tamper evident, such a tamper proof, tamper you know, remediation, uh, and of course, role-based authentication. All right, moving right along here. So um, some other information about the overall cryptographic you know, industry and all the different frameworks out there. Um, so one of them you might've run into, so common criteria is that internationally recognized standard for certifying the security of information technology. While FIPS focuses on, I'd say the cryptography, common criteria focuses on the rest of the overall security functions in, in, of IT products. It provides a framework for uh, specifying security requirements and evaluation of products. It's used to uh, ensure a rigorous, standardized, and repeatable process for specifying, implementing, and uh, evaluating computer security products. So Common Criteria maintains a list of these certified products across various categories, such as operating systems, access control, databases, key management systems, which we'll touch on soon, 
Uh, EL is that numerical grade assigned after common criteria. So it depends on you know, levels one through seven. Each one as it you know, increases uh, assurance requirements for certification. Common criteria is frequently used by uh, EU members and those in essential services, government agencies, and critical infrastructure. And the CAB forum changes require EAL level four plus compliance, right? So we, now we're starting to map this back to FIPS, right? As you're starting to make your decisions, right? Keep these different uh, acronyms, these different frameworks in mind, right? So level four requires a product to be you know, methodically designed, tested, and reviewed from a security perspective. And we also have to protect the private keys. And that's what a lot of these devices are going to help out with, right? And other sensitive assets against those, those the continuing threats that, uh, that happen in this area. All right. So let's, let's kind of jump into right options. What, what kind of options do we have to meet these requirements? Essentially, we've kind of broken them down into four main categories, right? There's hardware token USB. There's HSMs, hardware security modules. There's key management solutions. And of course, code signing services. So let's start with the hardware or, or token or USB. Think of that as kind of baseline, right? So manual process, not well suited for high level signings, right? You can use one provided by your CA or an existing one if it's compliant. You'll have to go through the process of kind of that initialization, right? Setting it up, activating it, protecting it, the partition with, with that passcode. When that certificate is ready to be installed, you generate the key and pull in the certificate. So you'll be essentially asked for a pin every time you want to be able to use it, unless you configure it in kind of a session-based login approach. And lastly, and not least, but it has to be plugged in the time of signing on the developer's PC or on the build server. So once again, you're probably starting to see some of them, the advantages and disadvantages. So moving on to hardware security modules. So an HSM would be need to install in your data center or in the, you know, you can, you can get them from the cloud as well. So you need to provision it. You need to install the software development kits and the HSM drivers, right? Signing is done through an integration with the HSM vendor libraries or the SDKs that are available. HSMs now start to require, think of it, you know, more organizational resources, both to the overall operational aspects of it, right? And there's going to be a learning curve to leverage and align these key generation workflows with their code signing processes. So moving along here, right, to key management solutions, there's a few of them, and you might think of them as being offered to, from the cloud providers like Amazon or Microsoft. It's a you know, software solution, uh, but the KMS uh, maintains a kind of a hardware module on their so side to be compliant. So once again, you know, cloud native, right? So uh, ability to, to be elastic, right? You could scale up as you need. You can integrate it with your the popular automation tools, CIC pipelines. They can use integrated credentials, so you won't be asked for a passcode every time uh, or during the time of signing. Um, you'll have to configure groups and access policies to you know who can you know determine what to do, including for key generation. Signing is done using hashed based approaches, and then. Finally, the, an important piece is going to be that code signing service, which is what the Venify Code Sign Protect module is, our platform. And it's also a software solution. But again, 
we'll have to have a hardware module element, right? Once again, to be compliant with the, the changes, especially around OV. Code signing services are, as you can imagine, highly scalable, provides turnkey services for the generation of keys and certificates for the issuance of new certificates and the reissuance you know, of existing ones. It integrates with, well, similar to, you know, key, key management solutions, right? Integrates with automation tools, pipelines, um, and there are, I would say, two, dis two distinct types of signing services. One type requires a full software upload or, or the artifact, the binary, that needs to be essentially uploaded. So as you can imagine, makes it slower, more cumbersome, and so that's one of it. Second, um, a much more popular approach, much more efficient approach that Venify CodeSign Protect uses is more of a, more of a hash-based approach. So limited, uh, you know, the payload goes over the wire. It's, it's secure. It represents a snapshot of the binary. So anyways, the, the hash travels to the, the service and there's no need to upload the file, right? So faster and more secure. At this point, I'm going to hand it over to Fossil to review uh, the enterprise code signing part of the presentation. Thank you, Ivan. Now, Ivan has already indicated, and, and in this discussion, we have covered that, okay, CA browser forum is coming up with the recommendation that uh, that the private keys associated with your code signing certificates they are stored in a hardware security module or a hardware module that is compliant with FIPS 140-2 level 2 but what i want to provide you is a larger picture right not only CA browser forum other standardization bodies within the industry as well they are providing similar recommendations. If we look at NSA, if we look at NIST, we look at CNCF, we look at CIS, or even if we look at OWASP, they all are suggesting that if the, there are people who want to build and run secure applications within their environment, or they want to give secure code to an external customer, they have to sign their code. All the standardization bodies today are recommending that code signing should be adopted as a baseline security practice. It's not something that a lot of folks say is an advanced level security practice. It is being recommended as a baseline security practice by NIST, by NSA, by CNCF, by OWASP, and by CIS as well. And essentially, the objective that everybody wants to achieve is that they want to build and run secure applications. So all the standardization bodies around the industry are coming together on this one baseline security practice of signing code. Now, why it is happening, right? Why everybody is recommending this thing? Essentially, if we look at any vertical today, any company today, it does not matter you are related, you are in a financial sector, you are in an industrial sector, or you are in a technology sector, essentially everybody today builds and runs software application. And the primary reason a lot of people do this thing is that they are automating their traditional or manual processes. In the last 10 years, we have gone through a lot of efforts on digital transformation right across the industry. And the foundation of that digital transformation has been that we are pushing more and more applications in production environments. So essentially, all the companies today in the world, they are software companies, right? 
you might be in a financial sector, you might be in a technology sector, you might be in a healthcare sector. Regardless, applications are built and run within different platforms. And everybody wants to ensure that secure applications are ran. And therefore, code signing becomes a requirement for all the industries, right? Because all the soft, all the companies are software companies, and therefore, code signing becomes that baseline security practice. I want to take a step back here and, and tell you what does code signing provide you, why we sign code today. Essentially, code signing provides you two basic properties. The number one property that it provides you is the integrity. If you have a software package and you want to protect the integrity of that package, right? By integrity, we mean that the package does not change nothing has changed within that package, then code signing basically provides you that baseline property. It protects the integrity of that software package. So if you are giving that package to an external customer of yours, or you are deploying within your environment as well, you are ensured that this is the package that you wanted to deploy. So the integrity is protected. The number two property code signing provides you is authenticity. Not only it tells you that the integrity of the code is protected, it also tells you that this is the, the author of this uh, of that software package was someone, right? This could be a company, this could be an application team, this could be an individual. But when you look at a signed package, it's giving you that information that, okay, who wrote that thing? So you, as a consumer of that package, can be ensured that, okay, I want to run a package from Microsoft. I want to run a package from Apple, right? And, the, and, and you can be assured that the integrity is being protected. So again, whenever you sign the code, it provides you two capabilities, the authenticity and the integrity. Now, how does code signing work today? Essentially, you have an unsigned artifact. This could be a PowerShell script. It could be a jar file. It could be an executable. It could be a container image. You have that unsigned software artifact. Mm -hmm. Then associated with that artifact is a signing tool. And essentially what that signing tool does today is that it takes the hash of the software artifact and it gets it signed through a code signing certificate. It leverages the private key of a code signing certificate to sign that hash. And eventually the responsibility of that signing tool is that it merges back the public part of the certificate and also the signed hash back with the artifact. Once that process is finished, it becomes a signed artifact. And this process is followed regardless of what type of software artifact you are signing mm -hmm. or what type of software process you are following. This is the baseline that is established and have been followed for the last 10 to 15 to 20 years, right? And, and this is the foundational piece. The problem with the current process, right? Mm -hmm. I, I want to highlight what are the three primary challenges that, uh, that we face with the code signing process today. It does not matter you are using one vendor or another vendor. I'm talking about the code signing process in general. Whenever some application team wants to sign an artifact, what happens is they go to their PKI team or InfoSec team and ask them, okay, can I have a code signing certificate? 
And generally that PKI team or the InfoSec team, what it does is that it provides that code signing certificate to that application team or an application team member. Today, not only you hand over the private portion of the code signing certificate, you also give them the private key. And what that happens is the, the reason you give that private key out is that all those packages are signed using private key. Now, it creates a problem. Once an InfoSec team or the PKI team has given out that, that code signing certificate along with the private key, from that point beyond, you do not know that where that private key will go, whether that private key is being inserted in a CI-CD pipeline, it exists under a VM, it exists under a USB key, or is it being shared by one team, multiple teams, or there, there might be cases where each member of the team have the copy of that certificate just for the ease of use. However, if we look at the process today, it creates a private key sprawl problem. Because once you have given out that one certificate, the copies of that certificate will may be available across the enterprise at different location. And this is where when Ivan was discussing about risk concentration, one code signing certificate can be used to sign hundreds of applications. And within those hundreds of applications, you might be doing multiple times those signing operation. If you have a code signing process today, there is a huge chance that it suffers from a private key sprawl problem. Number two, as an InfoSec team member or a PKI team member, you do not have visibility that, okay, where that code signing certificate is being used, whether it is used to sign one application, 10 applications, 100 applications, and, and this is where InfoSec team and the PKI team today lack the visibility. Another problem with the current code signing process is the lack of policy control. We have seen that CA browser forum is coming up with new recommendation that will go into enforcement from 1st June. And if we are seeing the pattern for the last six months to one year, what will happen is that these recommendations, not only from CA browser forum, but other standardization bodies as well, will keep coming because eventually everybody wants to run secure applications. So today there are no platforms available or processes available that introduce those policy controls within the code signing process. So essentially, if you have a code signing process today, it suffers from three major problems, private key sprawl, lack of visibility, and lack of policy control. Now I want to move towards what an ideal solution would look like. So imagine this is your built environment. This is a client system. So, so on the left side of the screen right now on the slide, you will see that I have made a map of a client or a build system. And generally within a build system, you want to sign one type of artifact and the signing tool is also available on that build system. So for example, if you have a container image, generally that container image is being built on the system, but you also have an associated tool, for example, Cosign, Podman, or Scopio within that build system as well. Today, this private key is hosted right on that box, on that build box, so that the signing operation can happen. Now, in this diagram, there is only one box, but you can imagine if you are a large scale enterprise, you will have these build systems 
not tens, hundreds, but probably thousands at a time. They might be non-ephemeral in nature or ephemeral in nature. But essentially, whenever you are uh, trying to sign something, the private key is always located on that build system. So this is what happens today. Now let's do one thing. Let's move that private key out to a centralized location, to a centralized server, and install a client on that build system. So the private key is not located on the build system, but in a centralized location. And you as a development team can use any tool that you have for signing. And essentially a hash will be taken to a centralized server. It will be signed and eventually a signed hashback is returned and then merged back with the signed artifact. All this process is happens underneath your development team, application teams, or DevSecOps team will not even know that this process is being followed underneath. The only thing that we are doing here is that we are moving the private key to a centralized location. If you want to be compliant with CA browser forum recommendation, you move that private key to an HSM. Now, the private key is in a single location it is stored there, it was generated there, and all your actual signing operations are happening within the HSM. The private key sprawl problem that I talked about, where when the InfoSec team gives out a code signing certificate with the private key, that problem is at rest. Because now as a PKI team or an InfoSec team person, you know that the private key is only located in a single location. So the private key sprawl problem is gone. Because we have centralized this location, now you have the ability to have full audit trail and reporting. So you can now know whenever any signing operation is happening, who is signing it, where the signing operation is happening, what is being signed, when it is being signed. So you have centralized the private key and now as an InfoSec team member, you also have the visibility into where your code signing certificates are being used. In addition, you can connect the centralized server to your LDAP, to multiple certificate authorities, to different uh, workflows and approval engines, and also to different timestamping authorities. So all it provides you is agility, right? It provides you agility from any kind of fa failure, it provides you agility from integrating with any kind of CA vendor. And it also provides you a location where you can enforce policy controls that are coming out of different standardization bodies. The good thing here is that if you have Venify's Code Sign Protect product, this is the architecture we, that we implement. And we have implemented this architecture across different verticals that range from financial, healthcare, industrial to technology. And this architecture has scaled well. It has served the purpose of InfoSec team to get rid of private key sprawl problem, provide them visibility and provide them policy control. One thing that I want to identify in the end is that for the development team as well, what happens is that we never ask them to change their signing tools. They can keep using their existing signing tools. So if you have a software development process, you can go back to the application teams 
and we are not asking them to change any process or any major changes. The only thing we are asking them is to change probably a few parameters and everything happens underneath. So this is a solution that provides you that addresses InfoSec concerns, but it also helps you address concerns of an application team. So this is the architecture that I show. So I want to show the poll results, right? The polls were open. Hopefully, uh, let's just go and see what are the poll, uh, poll results. So at the start of this, um, uh, Ivan had asked this question, haven't seen the changes, how prepared is your organization for June 1st CA browser forum changes, right? So it looks like that we are, a majority of the folks are just gathering information right now to see what those changes are. Hopefully this webinar that, that uh, Ivan and I have done helps you uh, achieve that basic level of understanding that what, what are the baseline requirements. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our guests, Faisal Razak and Ivan Wallace. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to Caracast. And be sure to listen to our other discussions. If you'd like more information on how Venify can assist your organization, please visit www.carasoft.com or email us at venify at Thanks again for listening and have a great day.